Listening Dog Media. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule. Bit of an unforeseen break in football action over the weekend, but that hasn't stopped us returning for your listening pleasure. Uh, We'll do a a bit of paying tribute to Queen Elizabeth II, sadly passed away. So we'll get involved in some royal matters this week, Uh, but we'll also look ahead to the weekend's action as well. As ever, I'm joined by the unstoppable Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Hoops. Hello. And uh, we're also with Hayley away on holiday this week. We've got We've brought in the most perfect replacement imaginable, actually, broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson. Hello. 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 I'll take that compliment. Thank you very yes. much. Yes. I don't know if it's too soon for me to call you the queen of this show, but I will. Why not? Thank you. Um, Lindsay Hooper, um, I have to ask you because, of course, no one would have foreseen the death of the queen. And that meant that all football fixtures were put on hold over the weekend. But some people thought it was still bizarre that a lot of fixtures did go ahead on that Thursday, um, the day that the Queen died. And you were involved in one of them, of course. I was. I was at West Ham United against FCSB, which are a Romanian side. And we got news officially around about half six. Now, the game obviously was at the point where it was already being planned to go ahead. I I wasn't privy to the conversations that were happening behind the scenes, but I know that there was a lot of conversations um, happening. I think there was a lot of back and forth as to whether the match should be cancelled but in the end I think they felt it was too late um, to cancel the match especially because a lot of the Romanian fans were already in the stadium yeah Um, they've obviously flown over as well so there were a few matches that went ahead West Ham against FCSB was one of them and then you think well what is going to happen here the mood it was so odd Kate it was so difficult to concentrate on football on team news you know how everyone as well in, in press rooms and Anne-Marie will be aware of this as well. You all have a bit of a chat. It was just silent. No one was really talking to anyone else. The team news came out and people barely were reacting to it because it, of course, wasn't important. And yeah. that also 
I think, fed into the teams as well. And then in the warm up, that was really somber and people were just looking around. It was hardly filled the stadium at that point. I think people were still on the concourses. And just before kickoff, the FCSB fans joined in with the home support in singing a rendition of God Save the Queen. And oh, my word, it was spine tingling. It was it? it was so loud, so mm-hmm. loud and so so proud as well and the and the players and then there's that image as well of the queen meeting sir bobby moore after the 66 world cup which was on the big screen and then coming back home later that night because of course you want to devour all the news and and everything that's happened those images were used and it did feel like a real mark of respect at that time i do understand why football decided that they wanted to do something more than just the armband and the silence and and marking respect in that similar way across the board over the weekend because this is something unprecedented, isn't it? It's not happened before for us. Well, yeah, um, certainly within most of our lifetimes. And what was probably interesting, just sort of from a sheer observation point of view, is did they did they cut all the music at West Ham yeah. as well? So, so it would have felt somber automatically because none of the showpiece elements, none of what makes football a show, kind of commercially, the walk-on music, the sound effects, goal. If I mean, all of that presumably was stripped away, so that it would have felt strange immediately anyway mm. because none of those sort of big visual and sound moments happened. That was that was actually what Vladimir Kufal, who, I, who I've done an interview with since and talked about it, was saying actually was the, the warm-up in particular felt so strange because it was all very tampered down, very sombre music. And so there wasn't the Champions League big fanfare, as you're talking about. And, and it just felt very different. It felt mm. markedly moving. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, we were Stripped all just back as well. yeah, we were all just there. I think we were all present at football, but not present at football. If that yeah. makes sense, yeah, yeah, and that would have been a very unfamiliar situation um, for you to be in, as you've said, as per many of the players and management there as well. Amory, what's your take on it? So, uh, I mean, I think it's universally thought, as Lindsay's mentioned there, that actually for those games on Thursday, the Manchester United game as well, among others, it was just too late for them to be called off. Do you understand why football wasn't on this weekend? Because there have been plenty of dissenting voices to say, actually, we would have preferred to be able to show our mark of respect to the late Queen, much as they did at the Oval when there was that lovely rendition of God Save the King. Football, I think some of football felt felt a bit uneasy that they were pretty much the only major sport called off. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of, I'm split on this one. I, I get it and I don't get it. I don't get it because I think there are people within the football world who can behave responsibly and would want to show respect to the Queen, as we saw with West Ham and those fantastic pictures of everybody joining in, as Lindsay said, in that rendition of God Save the Queen and the pictures that were were put around the stadium. And it was, you know, respected in the right way. And I think given that opportunity that, to show that I think was slightly taken away and I and I and I read the guidance that had come out from the government and I thought people are going to interpret this in their own way some will say yes let's do it let's run with it and we'll do our own way of showing our respect for the queen and others will go no we're not going to do anything and it turns out that it looked like football was the only sport out of everything that was going on pretty the much, weekend yeah. pretty much was the only one on the island so to speak mm not doing anything and I can kind of see where 
the various governing bodies are coming from in that respect that because the Queen is the patron of the national sport of the country that they wanted to reflect on that at the same time I think given the opportunity trust people trust football fans I know some people would be concerned that there could be some dissent in terms of booing and things like that but I think 99% of the football community would have respected what needed to be, happen at the weekend and would have shown respect for the yeah. Queen. And I think it's down to trust. And I think that was the thing. Can we trust football fans? And I think this is a debate that's going to run and run and run because now we know this weekend and the last three days, some matches can't go ahead because of operational reasons, because of lack of police resource available. And whereas last weekend, that wouldn't have been such an issue. It was brought to my attention though as well. And I, I am going to chip in because I'm exactly the same as you, Anne-Marie. I felt similar to begin with, but my way of thinking did turn when someone pointed out to me the amount of tributes that we have in football. So you think of former players that have passed away, um, former managers, sometimes lifelong supporters. And we see... Very often, if you've gone to football for many years, you will have seen the black armband, you will have done the minute silence. And there is a part of me that thinks this is an exceptional circumstance. It's something completely different. Like you say, the patron of the sport, um, a monarch that reigned for 70 years, an ever-present that people will not really know life. There aren't many people left on this earth that know life before her. So I... I did think that when they collectively came together to do something that in the history books would say, this stopped because this happened. Mm. I, I think that that was more powerful. And that was probably the FA's thinking because the FA, I think, moved first, didn't they, in cancelling all fixtures at the weekend. And then rugby decided that they were going to go ahead, cricket also, um, and so on and so forth with all the other sports. So I think in being the outlier, the FA's maybe taken a bit of flack for this because some of the other sports thought, well, no, I'm not going to do this. Um, she was patron of the FA. I think one main gripe that I've got is that for kids, their mm -hmm. grassroots season would, would either have been a friendly or the first game of the season, really, for a lot of kids. Um, I don't really think there was any need to relegate thousands of children to being at home and not outdoors in the fresh air. I thought you were going to say they got relegated. Yeah. <laughs> to relegate all of them yeah. to the league. I alert. agree. Yeah, the kids one. The kids one I don't understand. Yeah. And I, I'm yet to have someone explain that one to me. Yeah, and and look, we, 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 we can kind of all carry on with what would the Queen have wanted? But I genuinely think, I mean, my son was meant to be playing his first ever grassroots friendly and it got cancelled. And a lot of the parents at his football training were just saying, actually, we, we sort of get that the excess of the Premier League might not be appropriate, I, I, that, that they absolutely got that. But, but what they didn't get was, you know, kids being denied the chance to play competitive sport against each other, get out, get out in the open air. So there we go. Uh, if you've got opinions, you can let us know what you think as ever on Offside Rule Pod or at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter, on Instagram. And don't forget to check out our website whilst you're at it, offsiderulepodcast.com. And do subscribe if you want to never miss an episode of the Offside Rule. You can do that via your favourite podcasting app. All right, well, coming up on the show with Anne-Marie and Lindsay, an homage of Queen Elizabeth II. There have been, well, there have been some brilliant stories about royalty and football over the years. So we're going to talk through a few of our favourites. And with some lesser known or forgotten stars shining across Europe right now, we're going to talk about the unfancied players tearing up their domestic leagues who deserve a bit of limelight. Who needs a mention? But first, let's turn our attentions to it. It feels so early to be doing this, but we're going for it anyway. I've mentioned the word already. 
relegation. Yes, how are different Premier League sides doing at the moment? And for those struggling, what do they need to do? Where are their issues in terms of avoiding the drop? All right, let's get stuck into this then. The relegation battle examined. Six games into the Premier League season at the table starting to take shape, isn't it? I think it's fair enough to say. Uh, the big six sides all in the top seven places as it stands as we record this on Wednesday. But the other end of the table looks a bit more unfamiliar, doesn't it? Leicester City, who finished in the top half of the table for the last five seasons, they're propping up the table at the bottom. And Europa League semi-finalist West Ham find themselves in 18th at the moment. So let's discuss this relegation battle. Why are these unfamiliar teams in these places and is there a way out for them? Who do we think will face the drop? Early, very early predictions here, ladies. Anne-Marie, shall we start with you? And we'll discuss those teams currently in the relegation places, but also uh, other sides that we're particularly worried about as well. Where do you want to start? I'm going to start with the team that's currently sitting 19th in the Premier League right now, and that's Nottingham Forest. I still believe Nottingham Forest can come through this. I really want them to come through this. I really do. But the the results don't lie right now. After such an encouraging start to the season, you know, three losses on the bounce. They've got a big match this weekend. They're going to be hosting Fulham on Friday. So they'll want to... Go into the international break on a positive note after the terrible collapse against Bournemouth. And I know people are saying, well, is it because of their new signings? Because they've signed about 21 players. Some have gone out on loan, to be fair, but they have signed 21 new players. And I just feel at the moment, I just wonder, are we looking at Fulham of old, of what happened with them when they brought in a whole host of new players? It couldn't gel. There was a lot of issues going on behind the scenes on. I'm not suggesting that's happening with Steve Cooper and Nottingham Forest, not at all, but there was, it was all just a little bit all over the place. And and I'm hoping that's not going to be the same Mm. for Forest. And, you know, only Leicester and Bournemouth have conceded more. Leicester 14, Bournemouth 18. They're conceding a lot of goals. But, you know, they've got some strengths. Dean Henderson, for me, is a massive one. He's an excellent addition. Such a good signing, wasn't he? Such a good signing. And good for him, actually. Props to him for coming out saying what he was saying, that he wants his shot and he's rightfully taken it. And I think he has been such a star for them so far. Those two world penalties that he saved. And I love his rapport with the fans. I love it when goalkeepers get really into <laughs> with the fans as well. And he's he's embodying all that. I think there's a lot of focus on Brennan Johnson as well and what he can do. And Nico Williams, uh, 27 tackles, 30 more than and anybody else in the calibre that he's come from, from his background. So... You know, there's strengths in there, but there's also weaknesses. They're they're conceding far too much. And there's talk about, did Steve Cooper want all those signings? We will never know. Those are conversations we will never know about. But I saw yesterday, actually, a story in the local press about potentially a January signing joining uh, the Forest. It will be a chap by the name of Gustavo Scarpo. He's 28 years old. He's a midfielder from Brazil. He's playing for Palmeiras at the moment. Four goals and seven assists in Serie A this year. And apparently he has signed a pre-season contract. So that would take it to 22, maybe 23 (laughs) new signings. Loads. My uh, my my issue with Nottingham Forest and Linz, I'm sure you have similar, is that I is that I look at them and my head just goes, 
Like there are there are so many new players in that side. There are so many challenges involved in getting all those players gelling. But 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 also you know <laughs> trying to work out which is the best player for that situation. Uh, Forest at the moment are messing with my head. Everyone feels the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, one of the other strengths that we must mention is the exceptional coaching ability of Steve Cooper. You know, he is a fantastic coach. He has come through England ranks down the lower levels. That's why he knows some of this talent that he's picked in. And just to further add to what Anne Marie was saying about whether he has been involved with all of these signings, I think you can identify the Steve Cooper signings, the players that he knows, like, like Morgan Gibbs White, for instance, who we got from Wolves. A player player that he knows very well from his time with England. He knows exactly how he would fit into the team, what he offers. But then there are others that I have a big question mark next to, whether they are his. I think you can literally go through all of those signings and go, yeah, those are ones that he wanted. Those are ones that probably have been more pushed upon him. Mm. Um, we know from, from experience in the past, not so long ago, Fulham tried something very similar. They spent a lot of money and couldn't get players to gel. They couldn't get them to play as a team quick enough. And I do wonder, I do worry for Nottingham Forest whether that will be the case. There, there might just be too much change. And what they're relying on now is this brilliant ability of of Coopers to get everyone on the same page, but he hasn't got long. Yeah. I think the, the next international break will be key because I think he'll have some time. We haven't got too many internationals that will be missing. So he will have extra time to work with the players. And then after that, if they are still on a losing streak, I think that's probably warning signs. Yeah. Um, if I was Steve Cooper, I am one of those people that, that sort of has to be organised. And if I feel like I haven't got my head around something, outcome, the charts, the tables, the copious notes. And it's almost like he's got so many players to consider and he won't know how to get the best out of all of them yet, potentially. Um, him and his backroom team have got to do a really terrific job of organising and understanding all those new players and personalities and attitudes very, very quickly. I'm going to take Leicester from our teams in trouble at the moment. One point from their first six games. They've conceded 16 goals in six matches, their worst defensive start in nearly 40 years. I think there is a huge question mark with Leicester. What on earth is going on? You know, clearly times aren't good there for Brendan Rodgers. Uh, we know that there are issues with him. He's clearly unhappy. The new goalkeeper brought in to replace Schmeichel, Danny Ward, has just got a 50% save percentage, minus 2.5 goals prevented. So uh, he's <laughs> compared to Schmeichel as well, but he's not doing very well at all. There are big defensive issues um, across the team, but what, what we're seeing here for Leicester is uncharted territory with a manager who isn't very happy. Obviously, something's got to give. And they're in such an unfamiliar position, bottom of the table. That's a really hard place to claw back from. They've got one point. Uh, at least Forrest and West Ham have got four of them. And what needs to happen at Leicester? Well, they need to address their defensive issues. Of course they do. But it feels like a bit of a belt and braces job where, you know, Brendan Rodgers will go if they can find someone who's keen enough and astute enough to replace him, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think, Linz? It's always good kind of seeking your counsel on this. And, 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 and also, I suppose, you know, as long as Leicester remain in this really awful position, that will keep chipping away and away at them. So they need to do something fairly quickly to try and address some of the mess they're in. Mm, well, their record at defending from set pieces 
is woeful. And I can't believe that there hasn't been a handle on that already. So yeah, you're right to point out defensively, that's their weak point. But I can't help but look across the quality in that Leicester team. When you look at Madison, Barnes and Didi, Tielemans, Oh, and I and I purr over some of that talent and I think they can't go down. That can't go down. Mm. You know what? In a bizarre way, if Rogers was to move on, someone like a Sean Dyche or a Sam Allardyce, for, for want of an example, <laughs> or a Roy Hodgson. You know, oh, those no. are... I know, but I'm just saying that that's the sort of coach they just need organising at the back. It feels like everything's there. They've just ignored the back. I, I, I also think when we've spoken about Cooper having different players forced on him I don't know how involved Brendan Rodgers has been in the last few transfer windows I can't imagine that top of his list was getting Vestergaard in from Southampton I I just I find that difficult and I think there were probably um, restrictions on how much could be spent and where those players could come from because of all the amount spent on the new training facility um, and they've been prudent it's just that that prudence isn't paying off particularly when you're up against so many other teams it's not necessarily working for West Ham of course but against so many other teams who've spent large amounts of money but they aren't scoring either I I just think that they've gone for players past their prime when players Mm. hit a peak with another team let someone else take them on when they're on the way over that hill <laughs> don't take them on the way down the hill yeah um that would be my biggest recruitment advice to anyone anyone on the way down a hill don't take them jules jules of coaching wisdom from lindsay hooper part one unless it's diego costa at wolves and then yeah i mean he's okay, definitely da- okay. he's definitely down the hill but you know i'm still excited <laughs> well can i just add a point about brendan rogers as well i remember a time if there was any managerial vacancies his name would be mentioned quite a lot within the media circles wouldn't it and within the fan circles about potentially moving on elsewhere when Thomas Tuchel was sacked from Chelsea there was no he was his name wasn't it didn't you see with Brendan Rodgers his name wasn't even mentioned and I wonder if his stock has fallen over the last few years or so because his name definitely would be on the list and yeah when Chelsea decided to you know show Thomas Tuchel the door Brendan Rodgers' name wasn't even in the conversation, not in the media, not in the fans forums, nothing. So I think that really shows how far he's fallen down the the managerial Mm. line. We did a whole podcast last week, didn't we, Linz, on Graham Potter and uh, the magic that he's doing at Brighton. And within 12 hours, he'd been hired by Chelsea. So, you know, (laughs) clearly people were listening, Kate. Clearly people uh, were listening. Um, I also don't think Brendan Rodgers has sort of come out fighting at all. I wonder whether he concedes that it's not going well and that his time may nearly be there I haven't I haven't I mean perhaps that's a good thing perhaps it's perhaps it's good that he's remaining sort of largely quiet about why his team um, is doing so poorly apart from the kind of usual things that you'd expect a manager to say if they were struggling but yeah let's see something's got to change at Leicester City and um, Linz who else have you been looking at well at the very beginning of the season I did some predictions I, I hate doing them before a season's began because as we're six games in you do get a little Are bit you're gonna more say but it turns out I was right <laughs> no 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 <laughs> but I I predicted before uh, a ball had been kicked I 
I said Brentford, Bournemouth, actually in the order, I'll give you them in the order. Bournemouth, Brentford, Leeds is what I said would be the bottom three. Now, I do think when you look at Brentford and their firepower, Ivan Tony's been brilliant in the last few games. Wisser and... Uh, Jensen has been spectacular as well, I think. I mean, you look through the team and you thought there was going to be this huge chasm where Ericsson left, and that's why I put them in the bottom three. I still think the jury's out in that I wonder if their season will tail off. It started to tail off after January last season, and that's when Ericsson gave them that real kickstart that they needed. Mm. But I'm not going to rule them out completely, but I do think they look great at the minute. What I would say about Leeds is I'm I'm sticking with them because when I when I assess teams, I'm trying to look at where the goals are coming from. Now, obviously, Rodrigo has provided some goals, but I don't know whether that's going to be a consistent outlet. I know Jack Harrison's a great asset, but I think they lost a lot of really top talent and I don't think they've replaced it like for like. So I do wonder if they will be uh, still down there struggling. Bournemouth, I've written off already. Everton are going to be the other team that I throw into the mix. Um, We know they struggled last season. But I, again, with a team of their stature and the amount of money as well, when you look at wages in that team, you haven't got any goals at the moment. You know, we know from watching, for instance, Decore when he was at Watford, he scored some great goals. He's not scoring for Everton. You look at Damari Gray, what's happened to him? Um, we know that Calvert-Lewin has been injured, but really he doesn't seem to be the, the striker he once was. His England place is now in jeopardy, I would, I would argue. The only good thing that has happened from, a, from an incoming point of view is this partnership between Connor Cody and, and James Tarkovsky because they are more difficult to break down than they were. But mm. when you look at the other teams in the Premier League and the amount of talent and how fast this game is getting, I, th- I think that will catch up with both of them as well. They might be... They might be stopping the ship from going down for a while, but I don't know how long yeah. the, the sandbags will last. Okay, so when we look at the teams in trouble, you're worried about Everton. You've written off Bournemouth already. Yeah. That one's gone for you. Um, Amory, where else? So we, we, we haven't mentioned sides like Fulham. Obviously, I've talked about Leicester, Amory. You've talked about Nottingham Forest. West Ham, I mean, I would no worry for West Ham. They've spent no. an incredible <laughs> amount of money. They did get that morale-boosting win Last week, Linz, you were there for that win, for that European win. But the new signings haven't started well, really, have they, for West Ham? Again, a gelling issue. And then, you know, without being too predictable about this, I just wonder whether the club will decide that David Moyes' time with the side will be up at some point. Will that help or hinder the club if they get rid of David Moyes? I don't know. Can I also say that we don't know the effect of Mark Noble not being there anymore in that dressing room? Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly think that's a, probably a huge thing. He may not have played that many minutes, but he was around the team and he was a huge influence. Mm. So mm. It, it wasn't just David Moyes. I think there was a probably a number of factors that came together in a melting pot for West Ham last season that were great. And now this is the test because you yeah. haven't got some of those dynamite characters in the dressing room. Well, We've got to also, gel new people in. With the expectation of having spent so much money as well, there is an additional pressure now on David Moyes. 538, who are the data crunchers, who I really rate, actually. They do lots of election stuff as well, actually. They've predicted, and I don't normally pay attention to this, but they've predicted West Ham will be all right, 11th with 48 points. And they work through how seasons go. They kind of approach it in quite a scientific way. They think West Ham will be 
be all right. But yeah, the jury's out for me. Um, anyone else that you'd well, like to mention? Gone. Who do they say that isn't going to be all right? Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't looked at every. I haven't oh. looked at anyone else's <laughs> oh, yet. Oh come on! You can't. You can't tease that. We want to know who they said <laughs> is going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't actually got that in front of me, but but I respect five thirty eight. Have have a little look. Uh, I don't know whether it was just West Ham that they were looking at. I suspect not. Do we need to mention a quick mention for anyone else here, Anne Marie? From you, I mean Aston Villa. We haven't really mentioned so far. Yeah, Villa's an interesting one, isn't it? I think they're going to have a real battle on their hands this season. I, th- I think Steven Gerrard has the magic, has the sheen worn off a little bit. One draw, three losses, one win. It's not pleasant reading looking at them. They're 17th in the table right now. There's a lot of expectation on Steven Gerrard. And the question is, can he deliver on that? And what's happened to Tyro Mings? And, you know, I think he's just dropped down the scale a fair bit. I know they've made some changes with John McGinn now as captain. You just wonder what's going on with that team because I think, you know, last season there was just something exciting about them that they were fearless in their play and all Mm. of a sudden they just feel like a bit of a shadow of themselves. And I think between Villa and Everton and the other team I'd probably go with is is Forest. I think they're going to, and probably Leeds actually I throw into that pot as well. They're the ones I think they're going to have a real battle to stay within the middle part of the table. I can't see West Ham um, going. I can't see them being relegated whatsoever, but I think Villa have got some real problems. And I think the heart of that is Steven Gerrard and this is going to be a test for him as a coach to to pull them through because there's a lot of expectations. They've spent a lot of money on that squad and I think the owners would like to see them at least try and get into the European places, if anything, or at least have a decent run at FA Cup or Mm. at League Cup level. One to watch for sure. I don't think they're out of the woods yet. I've looked it up, by the way, uh, such as the gift of my journalistic prowess. Been on to 538. This is updated daily, by the way. But at the moment in those relegation spots, they have Everton, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest. Hmm. Well, well, well. All right, let's move on then uh, from relegation. Again, do get in touch with us to let us know what you think. Who are you worried for? Who do you think uh, will go from mid-table, perhaps down to the bottom, never to be seen again? Or perhaps uh, some of those teams currently dwindling uh, at the bottom of the table will have a resurgence. Let us know at Offside Rule Pod. Edwards again. He's fantastic. Dancing feet from him. Look at this. What a run. Trincao back to Edwards again. Wonderful chance. And Lloris saves it. What a goal that would have been. That was Messi-like from Marcus Edwards. That's the highlight of the game so far. Let's talk about some surprising stars, some breakout stars perhaps this season around Europe. Nearly two months into the season. We've seen, haven't we, Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, Lewandowski, Messi once again performing at their best. But there have been some more under-the-radar players, worth a mention, that have started the season brilliantly. So today let's talk about some of those players uh, that are in some of the domestic leagues around Europe and explain a little bit about why they're top of their game at the moment. Anne-Marie, who have you gone for? I've gone for a young chap by the name of Benjamin Sesko. He's Slovenian. He's 19 years of age and I only came across him during the Premier League summer window transfer because there was lots of rumours flying around that Man United were interested in him, Man City, Bayern Munich and Tottenham as well. And then the news broke that he has been signed by RB Leipzig 
for a lot of money, everybody, £55 million. But he will stay at Salzburg on loan and then move to Leipzig in 2023. And then he's on a five-year contract till 2028. This young gentleman has been described as a mini Haaland and is already regarded as one of the best strikers on the planet. So much so that he signed his first professional contract with Salzburg when he was 16 years Mm. of age. Then he went out to the Austrian second league, scored 21 goals in 29 appearances. And he has apparently the pace of killing Mbappe as well. He's like got the pace of killing Mbappe and he's a mini Haaland as well. And that's quite frightening, I guess, for a lot of footballers when you merge those two together. Plus what he can bring. And what's interesting about him as well, because I was looking at some videos of him last night, that he plays as a number nine, but he's not just willing to wait for the ball to come from him. He wants to create attacks as well he likes dropping deep and being in the melee in the midfield which I love as well so he's the youngest player for Sylvania as well he scored for his home team and he's the youngest player to ever do that as well so I'm gutted that we're not going to get to see him in the Premier League potentially not till 2028 when his contract comes up but he's oh things happen before day. contracts oh, come goodness. up yeah. I know <laughs> I say that with tongue in cheek you know people will break it if they can but I think the fact they've tied him down for so long shows how much investment they have in this young star. There we go. So Benjamin Sesco, is it? Is it pronounced? It's, Sesco. Uh, yes, or I Sheshko. think it's Sesco or Sesco, one or the other. I hope one of those pronunciations is correct. <laughs> I'm going to mention, and actually Lynn, both you and I um, highlighted this when we were discussing earlier who we might go with, uh, Marcus Edwards. Um, because there's a really interesting uh, English link to him, he was brilliant uh, last night, Tuesday night's 2-0 win for Sporting over Spurs in the Champions League. He's got a really interesting story. He went through the academy at Spurs and was hotly tipped. Pochettino was very complimentary about him. Even, I mean, they did even go down the mini Messi thing again, which I know is always ridiculous when, when people start saying that. But basically, he was a very fine young, young prospect indeed. But... Uh, issues with timekeeping. He didn't take to authority particularly well. I've read kind of a few reports now, really, from various different sources, kind of looking at what might have gone wrong for him um, at Spurs. He was offered a contract there. He did sign a contract there in 2017, a three-year contract, um, which was a significant signal of belief that the club had in him. But it just didn't work out. He's known to be quite an introvert, doesn't open up very easily. And he clashed with some of the sort of development coaches there in the uh, management at academy level and I think they just just couldn't couldn't kind of make it work with him so off he went in 2019 to Portugal Uh, he moved to Vitoria and then spent from the second half of last season at Sporting and look you know sometimes it takes a change of club doesn't it sometimes it takes maturity for a player to really start performing and I think it's safe to say I mean look what he did on Tuesday night was fantastic, picking up, up the ball from around 40 yards and just leaving uh, Eric Dyer and Ben Davies in his wake, both bottoms on the floor as he made his way through to goal. Of course, he didn't manage uh, to score, but it was a, a fantastic bit of movement. And I think everyone thought, oh, OK, Marcus Edwards, all right. So, yeah, look, he's started the season off really, really well for sporting Uh, scored three and assisted three in seven matches and it looks like it's going to be a really good season for him and I think that's that could be a really nice story couldn't it Lynn? you know Mm. someone who couldn't make it work in England who went through the academy system who is supremely talented but maybe now has reached the right point in his 
his career where where it can all come together both the personal side of it both his attitude and, and elements of his personality and then of course mixed with elements of his game coaches have tried previously with many other talents over the years to to encourage them to go abroad what you want to do is get them out of their usual environment um sometimes there's bad influences in that environment and they want to get it's them about growing up isn't it yeah it is they about want to get them out on their own as a player being independent and just getting one-on-one with football again forget the outside distractions and sometimes that works sometimes we know it doesn't we know that Sir Alex Ferguson um, with Ravel Morrison like banged his head against a wall and yeah. so many coaches since have gone to try and be that coach that changes that player and it, it never really happened Um, He certainly didn't deliver on the sort of scale that people expected. And at the moment, you've got to say for Marcus Edwards that this this spell in Portugal is doing him really well. Your only concern is if he was to then be brought back into the Premier League, and certainly if he was nearer where he grew up and and those home influences again, would, would that eventually have an influence? Would it would it mean that he returned to some of those old habits Mm. and that's the thing we'll never know the answer to until he comes back but whilst he's out there and being talked about like this brilliant I I love to see the way that he played you know he's certainly not the finished article I think that's worth pointing out I, I was impressed but he's not the finished article and there's a long way to go and I think actually for a lot of these younger players they need that reality check they need to know they are not it they, they still yes. have a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how the season plays out for him um, as a whole. Um, who else have you got your eye on? I'm going to speak about Nuno Tavares. And I I was at Spurs against Marseille last week. And Marseille are doing brilliantly in Liga. They're at second in the table, six wins in seven games. And they're only behind PSG on just goal difference. And you look at them, their squad. They've got so many Arsenal Exports. They've got Alexis Sanchez in the team, Matteo Guendouzi, Nuno Tavares and Sead Kolasinac. I want to centre in on Nuno Tavares, although I would point out that at Arsenal, all of these players, for me, did not play as well, apart from with the exception of Alexis Sanchez, I suppose, but all of the others, Guendouzi, Kolasinac, they're doing brilliantly for Marseille. So if you're at Arsenal looking out over the channel right now, you probably got green, envious, tinted specs on, thinking, why why weren't they doing that here? Um, Nuno Tavares is one of them. Now, I think a lot of Arsenal fans, and Anne-Marie is one, so she can certainly join in and jump in on this one. There was there were signs, there were glimpses. I think there were certain games where Tavares showed what he can do. He was signed by Benfica, wasn't he? Just 22 years old. There was that uh, Tierney injury that meant that he got quite a bit of game time last season. And when he was going forward, he did look really dangerous, but he couldn't be consistent. It felt like there were lapses in concentration, certainly in terms of his touch on the ball sometimes. Um, I, I felt like he was a player that opposition could get at. Um, and you don't want to have a big sign above a player's head saying this is the way that you want to come come at us because there's a potential weakness here. So yeah, for him to go out to Marseille on loan, what do we read into it? Do we read in that this is Tavares that didn't get the chance to get going at Arsenal, that they let him go out on loan too quickly? Or is this the sign of a player that is still emerging, still getting minutes and essential game time and might may come back a, a much more fully formed player. I think it's option B. I think it is option B because I think at the time Arsenal felt that he needed to go away and get out his comfort zone, develop his confidence as well. He's very much an introvert. I don't know if you've seen the the Arsenal 
documentary on Amazon Prime. He's very quiet, doesn't really say a lot, but he has a lot of belief in his play. But if you see the, the talk that Edu was giving about Nuno Tavares, he said that they needed just to to see him be come out of his shell a little bit more and then giving him that game time away with another team will give him that to develop him and grow and then come back a stronger player because Kieran Tierney in that position is such a force. When he is fit and raring to go, he's, you know, pretty much unplayable. But you need Zinchenko someone... now, though. Yeah, I well, mean, I say that now. Get in yeah, line, Zinchenko. mate. Get in yeah. line. That yeah. battle for that, there's a real battle for that place. And I think, you know, he would have seen that he would have fallen down the line a little bit because of what you said, Lindsay, the consistency. And I think there was a lack of confidence in his decision making at times. And at top level, you don't really get those slim margins. So I think it's brilliant that he's gone out there. I think it's a chance for him to develop and grow. Also, former Arsenal players as well that he can bounce off, whether, you know, the relationship has been good or bad with the previous club. But I think this is a great, great move for him. And I'd love for him to, to come back to the Premier League and show what he can do. This is a great move. He, and embrace it. Embrace it. Mm, we have not heard the last of him, Kate. Let's hope we haven't heard the last of any of them. Um, talking of moves, we need to move on to our final topic of the podcast. Before we do, though, a quick reminder to check out the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Lindsay this week is joined by the Athletic Charlotte Harper and also England legend Faye White, who's got a lovely story about picking up her MBE, by the way, something royal related, I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and Jen Beatty, also the Arsenal player, joins uh, Lindsay as well for the show this week. So do check it out, building up still to the start of the season, of course, because the fixtures were delayed at the weekend. That's the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, available wherever you go. Get your podcasts. Gilberto Silva from Brazil. From Brazil. Gilberto Silva from Brazil also. Denilson from Brazil. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Jens Lehmann from Germany. They all come from Germany. The Queen has been studying recent results. And extra time. <laughs> she knew uh, that uh, we won the game. And uh, I didn't ask her if she actually watched the game. Manuel Ibuy from Ivory Coast. So you have a very international side. But I gather you've said to my private secretary that you all have the best, best well, physios. Well, if you ever want to, you know, see him, you know, you're more, more than welcome. Well, very kind. Okay, let's continue with the royal thread, shall we? Because over the last few days, uh, we've heard some great stories, actually, about football and royalty. So I felt it was only right that we brought them to this podcast. Some of them funny, some of them moving. The biggest debate we should start off with, which has, you know, dominated quite a few sports pages, probably on the internet more than in the actual physical newspapers, Amory, is, is who did the Queen support? Did we ever really find out? We know who Prince Charles supports. We know who William supports. He's, he's an Aston Villa fan. But the late Queen, are we any clearer? about which was her favourite football team. And you're going to ask Arsenal fan Anne-Marie Batson, yeah? <laughs> All right, well, okay. don't give it away. <laughs> ah, uh, I'd like to you're think You're going to she... claim her, aren't you? <laughs> no, well, I was going to say, I'd like to think that, she, that she's a gooner, but I'm going to go with the official line and say I think she was probably neutral oh, and just liked on. every team in the Premier League, the Championship and Leagues 1 and 2 and everybody else underneath in the pyramid. I think <laughs> as a patron of the national game, I'd like to think that, that she was neutral when it came to this thing. But the fact that Arsenal is and still the only team to have paid a visit to Buckingham Palace, you know, no one can top that, can they? Mm. And where did the Arsenal team 
Meet the Queen in Buckingham Palace in the Bow Room. Yes. Where currently, as we speak, or overnight, uh, the Queen was lying in rest, uh, awaiting the next stage of her journey. So there you go. Not only did Arsenal meet her at Buckingham Palace, they met her in the room where where she's had a night stopover um, whilst her whilst the, the members of her family gather around before she uh, before she heads on to the Palace of Westminster. So there I you have go. heard uh, a lot about those stories from the Arsenal team that did go to that. It, it was was it an afternoon tea? It was afternoon um, tea. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Theo Walcott was only seventeen, and um, and he revealed that she said to him, "You look very young." Um, can we just tell our listeners that before Lindsay did that impression for the second time, she told us that she does the Queen very well. Well, I can, I can but I'm not on a recording. Uh, because my my mum and dad had some friends that once were up near Balmoral and I think they'd gone AWOL and walked down this big country lane and saw someone with a headscarf on picking some berries. <laughs> and um, yeah, and she, and this lady was on her own. And they walked past and they said that she just went, good afternoon. And <laughs> um, and then they knew exactly who it was, just Brilliant. from her voice. Was the queen. Good afternoon. Not like the famous story of the uh, American tourists who uh, uh, treated her as another tourist on the Brilliant. estate and had no idea. Some of those stories, uh, I know. Yeah, they are brilliant, aren't they? But coming back to Arsenal. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I was just going to say that um, she obviously was meant to be opening the Emirates Stadium, wasn't she? She was that's meant right, to be yeah. their special guest and then couldn't attend and that's why they all got this invite. But having been at West Ham on Thursday when that news was announced, there were a lot of murmurs of that she was a West Ham fan. West Ham liked to claim her as one of their own. Apparently she got involved in a conversation with a couple of staff members uh, about the West Ham Millwall derby at one point and she expressed interest in West Ham. Of course, as you said earlier, Linz, she presented the England and West Ham icon Bobby Moore with the Jules Rimet yeah. trophy, didn't yeah. didn't didn't she in nineteen sixty six? So yeah. uh, so there's another attachment there. The most kind of certain thing I've heard, and this is no disrespect to football, but actually the Queen didn't really like team sports. She wasn't a great football fan at all, uh, and I think we're okay with saying that. Um, she much preferred, as we know, uh, things like horse racing uh, rather than yeah. team sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, she found football quite boring. What I was thinking though was if we know that Prince William, which we know for sure is an Villa fan. Didn't King Charles say that he liked Burnley? He was a Burnley supporter, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So if Her Majesty was West Ham, what is the obsession with claret and blue? Yes. Yes. Very much so. I mean, it's kind of a royal colour. It's not purple, but it's kind of royal, isn't it? She apparently took quite a shine to Michael Owen as well. No um, way. Someone yeah. taking a shine to Michael Owen. Is that possible? Mm. This, 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 is, this is according to Sven Goran Eriksson, who was speaking on another podcast. He said he was invited to lunch with the Queen with about 10 other people. And he asked her for her favourite player and just thought at that time, this is some years ago, that, that she just would automatically have said David Beckham. But actually, she said, and I don't know whether you want to revoice this for me, Lindsay, and your best Queen impression. She said, Michael Owen is my favourite player. And Sven Goran Eriksson apparently asked her why, and she said he looks so clean. <laughs> no, uh, and he didn't. He he didn't carry on with the conversation. Sven, come mm. on, be a journalist. Follow up on that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this isn't football related. But I have told you that I danced for the Queen once. <laughs> Did you? Oh, yes. At Dudley Castle. Kate laughs. Any story I have, Kate just giggles in the background. (laughs) 
Why are you laughing, Kate? I don't know. It's just you dancing for the Queen makes me think that, like, there was a big performance at a royal theatre and Lindsay Hooper takes to the stage, (laughs) says, hello, Mum. (laughs) no actually it was more about the group that I was dancing with so there were four girls who were a couple of years older than me at school and they were part of a dance troupe of which I was also included but a few years younger but they just wanted a young dancer as part of their routine it was really their routine and more about them and they were fantastic they were the four of them were very very good but yes I was chosen to be part of it and it meant that my mum and my nan got an invite um, which of course they took up straight away to be right at the front I got nowhere near the Queen she was sat quite far away um, when we were performing for her but my mum and my nan and this is in the days of disposable cameras Uh, we're right at the front for when the Queen did a walk by and and, um, and greeted everyone and accepted flowers. And my mum, who has a bit of a reputation as a photographer, must have got this disposable camera so close that when we got them when we got them back, I mean the Queen is is massive in these photos. I mean my mum looks like she's been up her nostril. She got so. the Queen's nose. <laughs> All of it. We had to wait weeks to get them back. And then I was like, oh my gosh, how close did you get to What a letdown. Um, Just give us an insight into this performance. (laughs) What was your costume and what about the style of dance? Was it It ballet? No, no, no. I I, I danced for a group called Dance Mania. Uh, It was a bit street dance. (laughs) Um, But... We, I remember wearing, we were all in, in dark. I remember wearing a long pleated skirt. Um, oh, with a, that's not with very a hip hop, is it? No, I mean, it wasn't really, was it? But mm. I think we were bridging the gap at the time. Bridging, yeah. <laughs> um, this, this, of course, leads me to ask, I've never met the Queen. I've never really had anything to do with her apart from... I didn't meet her though, Kate. I can't well, stress it enough no, how I, I, I danced for her, but I got yeah. nowhere near. My mum and my nan got I've, much nearer than I did. Yes. Uh, I've I've never been in her company. I've never been anywhere near her, really. Anne Marie, what about you? Do, do do you have your own royal tale? Yeah, in terms of meeting the Queen, no. But I have met the now new Prince of Wales, Prince William, very briefly at a charity event when he I had to stand in a line and he was going down the line and you just had to you know he introduced himself. He's you know have a quick chat with him and then he moves on to the next person and and that was it. And he's very oh. tall. Yeah, he's very oh, tall. Really? He would have been the Did he would have you... been the Duke of Cambridge then. Yeah. Yes. So I, I've met Prince William as well at a charity event too, which was for the FA. Do you remember they had that heads up campaign with yes. the Premier League? Mm. Yeah. It it was bizarre actually, because we all went um to I can't even remember where the venue was, but it was somewhere in East London and there were all table football tables. And he came in, all of his entourage and security. And you can just tell, can't you, who the security are stood around. And he played table football with a few different uh, people. Um, and I was... And was he any good, Lindsay? He, yeah, he was He was okay. He was, <laughs> he was all right. I mean, I still remember Jill Scott tackling him at football, being one Fabulous. of the standout memories. But yeah, it is fascinating, though, seeing the, the pomp and ceremony around a royal being anywhere. Um, I've only yeah. had those little tiny glimpses, but um, can, you, a huge can you imagine? Operation. Yeah. Yes, it certainly is. You know, I I was very close to Prince Harry at a club bar in Earl's Court. <laughs> what a surprise in a bar. The less Prince said about Harry. that, the better. Yeah. I uh, will not reveal <laughs> any of the contents of the conversation that I overheard, but it was several years ago and I'm sure 
sure he's a bit different now. Um, Okay, (laughs) let's move on without further ado to a very quick Any Other Business. This off actually ladies with another bit of a royal tidbit thrown in and and this just made me smile there was a headline on the athletic this week and it says antonio conte reveals he wore disguise to pay respects to queen elizabeth ii i thought oh he wore a disguise did he did he go as sort of a clouseau type detective did he wear a long rain mac and shades and a jaunty hat perhaps he went as a hardcore royalist Perhaps he went as Paddington Bear, Antonio. I mean, mean, how would Antonio Conte disguise himself to go to Buckingham Palace and look at the floral tributes to Queen Elizabeth? The big disguise, it was revealed later in the article, was that he wore a hat, just a hat. (laughs) So I was a bit disappointed by that after concocting lots of exotic pictures in my head of how Antonio Conte might disguise himself. It turns out it was just a hat. Yeah, so I wonder how many of uh, football's fraternity have been to pay their respects to Queen Elizabeth. For my any other business, I want to shine a light on a 13-year-old who has made records. Um, Up in Scotland for Glenavon, Christopher Atherton has become the youngest senior footballer in the UK ever. 13 years and 329 days old. So congratulations to Christopher making a senior appearance at just that tender age. Can you imagine what what his career could go on to be? But then I'm a little bit worried by that, Linz. I mean, I do congratulate him, but isn't that quite a lot of responsibility for a 13-year-old? 13 and 329 days. Fair enough, a 14-year-old then. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Anne-Marie, one from you to finish off with. Yeah, so scrolling through social media yesterday, as I do quite a lot, um, I came across a video of the new Chelsea owner, the co-owner, I should say, because there are other people involved, Todd Bowley speaking at a conference in the States. And a couple of the videos have pretty much gone viral. And he's talking about calling for an all-star game. So... His suggestion is, and I'll read you the quote that he gave in this particular clip. He says, ultimately, I hope the Premier League takes a little bit of a lesson from American sports and starts to figure out (laughs) why why don't we do a tournament with the bottom four sports teams? Why isn't there an all-star game? Well, you can imagine how mm. this has gone down. He wanted with... a north versus south one, didn't he, as well? Yes, he so wanted a north. Yeah. up the UK, yeah. That's right. That could fund the, the north versus south uh, from the Premier League to fund the pyramid. They could make 200 million, apparently. 200 million pounds that's been quoted. As you can imagine, this has not gone down entirely well. I'm going to sift through it a little bit more, but it's interesting that a lot of people saying... Um, but that means get a, potentially getting rid of relegation, which is one of the things we love about the Premier League and it needs to be protected. So uh, it's one to keep an eye on for sure because we've got you know a few American owners in the Premier League now who obviously want to bring some new ideas to yeah. the league. It's just a case of whether everyone's going to accept them. Yes, and the All-Star Game is a big cash generator in the States. It's just whether it's appropriate and also whether there's time for such a thing as well. I don't think he could have suggested a more American idea, could he? Indeed. Um, 
Yes. Mm. All right. Should we round it up there, ladies, as we go on our merry way? Thank you very much if you've been listening. Thanks for your feedback about the show, by the way, as well. If you want to get in touch with us with any more of it, at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Insta. And don't forget to check out our brilliant website, offsiderulepodcast.com, for lots of brand new up-to-the-minute content, lots of opinion pieces in there as well. Um, Lindsay Hooper, what are you doing for the next few days? We have got WSL live on Sky Sports this Sunday, so I will be going to Liverpool. It's Liverpool-Chelsea from Prenton Park. Um, That has been rescheduled to start slightly earlier so that it finishes earlier as the marks of respect begin that evening. Mm -hmm. Um, So 5pm kickoff now, if you are thinking of going along to that one. And on Saturday, the day before, I'll be at Huddersfield for Soccer Saturday. Oh, Anne-Marie, what does your week look like? I am going to be heading down to Meadow Park. It's Arsenal Women versus Brighton. It's a cellar at Meadow Park as well, so it's going to be an amazing atmosphere. It's a late evening kickoff, so really looking forward to that one. Season opener. Yes. Season opener. Yes. Uh, enjoy your football weeks, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for listening as well. See you next time. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.